Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, what do you think of when you think of a life of excellence? One of the images that comes to my mind always is that of the Olympic athlete. These women and men spend their lives training and preparing for a moment that in many sports is quite literally over in a split second. A sprinter dedicates their days, their diets, even sacrifices relationships to run 100 yards in under 10 seconds. A gymnast trains their whole life for a half second of flight off a vault. When they succeed, It's almost impossible not to revel in the achievement and in the glory. The crowd explodes. We're left with this sense of wonder just asking, like, how did they do that? And in that moment, we as the audience are literally glimpsing the sum total of tens of thousands of hours, all the work, all the sacrifice, all the pain rolled into this one decisive instance of excellence. But sometimes it doesn't go this well, right? Sometimes the runner stumbles, the gymnast falls down in pain, the hurdler doesn't get past the second hurdle. And in that moment, we're tempted to look at them with a sense of of shame. Oh, that poor thing, all that work, all that effort, all that sacrifice, and for what? You see, our culture is a scoreboard culture a culture, when we, when we consider excellence, for the most part, we consider excellence in terms of results. But for the biblical writers, excellence is rarely measured in results. You see, the problem as the scriptures see it is that humans don't know what to measure when it comes to excellence because they don't know what true success really looks like. And as we begin this series on the book of Jeremiah that's going to take us through Lent all the way up to Easter, we're going to be immersed in a life that for many appearances is a failure. You see, Jeremiah preached to Jerusalem, and his task was to proclaim to Jerusalem they must repent. Jeremiah told them they had to repent, otherwise they would be judged by God. Babylon would come to their city and lay waste, and many of the people in the city would be carried off and scattered into exile. And you know what happened? Jeremiah preached his heart out. The people ignored everything he said. The Babylonians came to Jerusalem. They laid waste to the city, and they scattered many of the city's inhabitants into exile. So did Jeremiah succeed? If we look at the results, we would say no. He couldn't, no matter how hard he tried, get the people to change their mind. And what's worse, everything that happened to them happened to Jeremiah. Even though he knew the truth, he couldn't escape the fate. His life was bound up with the life of his people. But as we look at a deeper level, Jeremiah models for us a life of unwavering excellence because he invites us to reframe what it means to live life at its best. Eugene Peterson wrote this incredible book called Run with the Horses that is just one of the springs from which we're taking this series. We base all of our teaching series here at Ecclesia on this book, 
which would be the Bible, and this is our primary source, but we love to introduce other voices. So we encourage you, if you want to read along, Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson, pick up the book and read along, immerse yourself in the life of Jeremiah. And if you need help paying for it, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd be happy uh, to help you along in the church, uh, such a generous church that we have, would be so happy to help you along in that. But Eugene Peterson, in his book, Run With the Horses, says of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is remarkable for the intensity with which he lives Godward, the thoroughness in which all the details of his life is included in God's word to him, in God's action to him. It is people like Jeremiah who are conscious of participating in what God is saying and doing that are most human, most alive. A Godward life. God's word coming to Jeremiah gives us a recalibrated vision for excellence. But here's the beautiful and very challenging thing about this series that we are going to encounter. This vision that we receive from Jeremiah is by no means an easier life. It's not an accommodation with low expectations, with small imaginations, with lazy living. At a point in Jeremiah's ministry where he wants to settle, where he wants to pack it in because things have gotten so difficult, God comes to him and he says, If you have raced with footrunners and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? God's asking Jeremiah the question, Listen, if you're tired now, how are you going to get tired? How tired are you going to be when things really get tough? In a time of tumult, when the wicked are prospering and things are falling down all around, Jeremiah is tempted to go home. But God asks him in this moment, in a way that is such an inspiring, challenging way, he says to him, Do you want to settle for smaller things or do you want all that I have for you? Jeremiah answers this question with his life, that he wants to, in fact, run with the horses. And his life is both an invitation and a challenge to us today, asking the question, what do we want? Do we want to settle for a small faith in handmade gods, or do we, like Jeremiah, want to run with the horses? Eugene Peterson says, every one of us needs to be stretched to live at our best, awakened out of dull moral habits, shaken out of petty and trivial busy work. Jeremiah shows that to live a life of true excellence, what the ancient Greeks called erite, is to live a life completely oriented towards God and poured out, out of the abundance of that relationship, poured out on behalf of our neighbors and on behalf of the world. Jeremiah also shows us that a life of true excellence, of Godwardness, a life of congruence is available to us no matter what's going on in the world around us. In Jeremiah's day, the nation he lived in was literally collapsing. It was being judged by God. He was constantly being harassed because, as it goes, he had to be the messenger, the bearer of the bad news. And what people tend to do is to focus their anger and their rejection on the person that's telling them the bad news. He had to tell them that everything was not, in fact, going to work out just fine. He stood before kings and told them the bad news. He was thrown in prison, placed in stocks, and eventually was thrown in a well. It's not circumstances that make for a life of excellence. It's openness of our lives to the Word of God and to God meeting us in the very midst of our lives. 
Again, Eugene Peterson says, The life of Jeremiah is not an American pursuit of happiness. It's more like God's pursuit of Jeremiah. So as we begin today, we want to open our lives up to God's pursuit of us. And we're going to begin with just a few verses from the very first chapter of Jeremiah. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn in the book of Jeremiah. It's in the middle of the Bible, and it's one of the longer books, so hopefully you can find it. Today we begin in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. Beginning in verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. The beginning of Jeremiah sets the scene for us. And it's so instructive in the way this is done. Notice, the very beginning of Jeremiah contains a bunch of names, the name of a town. And again, the Bible is constantly trying to shake us from the notion that these things happen in some far-off fairy tale land. The Bible is consistent in grounding the story, not in some far-off place, but in the very confines of our world. The name of Jeremiah's father is given. The name of one of his, the, the name of the one stoplight town that he was from, Anathoth. And then the names of the kings who ruled over Judah during the course of his lifetime, giving the reader a sense of time and place. What the Bible and the scriptures are trying to open us up to is, is trying to say to us that living an extraordinary Godward life is lived out in the very ordinariness of our day-to-day -day lives. In days like our own, the only thing remarkable from a historical standpoint is that it says in the text in Jeremiah chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord breaks through the monotony of the day, the monotony of the cycling of empires, the monotony of family gatherings, and it transfigures it, making and marking the days with meaning and possibility. The text goes on to say, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now that we've been given the setting for Jeremiah's life, the setting of the mundane, a world just like our own, we are introduced to the voice of God that cuts through the course of time and space. And I want to focus our, on these words that are given to Jeremiah as we focus on this question, what does it mean to live a life of excellence? There are words that are given, three words that I want to hone in on today. That much like Jeremiah's life as a whole, reframe the concept of excellence. You see, we think, and it's constantly reinforced to us, that excellence begins with us. That excellence is a product of our diligence and our discipline. Excellence, as we're going to see in the text today, does not begin with us. True excellence, because it is an invitation to a Godward and God-saturated life, starts with God and His love and His care for us. And the first word that we see highlighting uh, is this word before. 
Before I formed you, God says to Jeremiah, I knew you. The word of God comes to Jeremiah and establishes to him the most important and foundational truth before. Before you did anything right, wrong, or indifferent, before you set the trajectory of your life, before you chose what you were going to major in in college, before you chose the person who would be your spouse, before you chose the place that you were going to live, before any sort of betrayal or failure, before anything that happened to you, before all of that, there was God. And the text tells us that God knew Jeremiah. Now, the Hebrew word for this uh, word that's translated know here is the, the Hebrew word yada, which has this wide range of meaning. Everything from a deep experiential knowledge of the divine, everything from experiential knowledge of the divine to sexual relations. But within the range of meaning of this word, there is always a sense of delight. That in seeing more fully, one is embraced and immersed in a sense of delight, of seeing it fully and loving fully. God in saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, is saying to Jeremiah that his whole life exists from a fundamental blessedness. Before any living creature was formed on the earth, when we go back to Genesis 1, we see the word of God calling creation into being and calling all that he made good and very good. We live in the aftermath, not only of an original sin, a brokenness that pervades our world, a brokenness that we all have participated in. We live not only in that aftermath, but we live in the aftermath of a far more original blessing. Ecclesia, we say this very often around here, but what you envision when you think about and you envision God is perhaps the most important thing about you. So I want to pause here for just a moment. What do you see? What kinds of characteristics, what kind of demeanor and disposition do you see when you think about God? And consequently, what does God see when he focuses his attention on you, what does God see when he thinks about you? Psalm 139, verses 1 and 2 and verses 14 through 16 say, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar, for you created my inmost being. You formed me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before any one of them came to be. Ecclesia, if you have this gnawing sense, when, when God thinks about you, that he is displeased, that he doesn't delight in you, can I make two very simple and related points? First, the word given to Jeremiah is before. And so whatever it is that's driving that feeling of insecurity is not the starting point. It's not the genesis. It's not the before. Before all of that was God forming you, knowing you. Second, it, if there's some sense of unconfessed sin in your life or some shame that you can't break free from, it's not God's rejection of you. 
not an erasing of this glorious before. Rather, it's an invitation to come back home. To come clean like the prodigal son in the beautiful and brilliant story that Jesus tells. To look up while you are still miles away and to see that your father is pursuing you. That he is relentlessly running to you before. Before any of the brokenness that you chose or any of the brokenness that happened to you. Was God delighting in and blessing you. So this first word that we are exploring when it comes to a life of excellence, when it comes to a Godward life, is before. And before God knew, before God delighted, before God blessed. And the text goes on to tell us. The Lord says to Jeremiah, I consecrated you. Now the word for consecrate here is not one that we use often. But the word consecrate means to set apart. It means to make holy. God will often tell the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament to consecrate themselves, to prepare themselves, to set themselves apart. And when he tells them those things, he's telling them to declare their allegiance and their submission to the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, by their actions, to set themselves apart in service to him. And many of our cultural images of an excellent life involve a sort of unbridled freedom, a sense of wealth, a sense of freedom, a sense of a leisure, a comfort, an indulgence where we can satisfy our desires and our whims. The people that Jeremiah will eventually preach to in this book will have rejected God's call to consecrate themselves. They've taken control. They've grabbed the reins of life and are trying to compel God into service for their own agendas. They think, by the implicit statements of their life, that an excellent life would be to have God on their terms and to have everything else they want as well, whatever it be, be it materially, be it politically, be it spiritually, right alongside this nice packaged God that they can take out and put away as it suits their whims. But Jeremiah, being met with God's prior consecration, is declaring to us that an excellent life is not the product of our own concept of freedom, but rather is the product of God's prior freedom in choosing us. God, in consecrating us, set us apart. He chose us for his team. Jesus, throughout his life, expresses this freedom, the freedom of being utterly and completely submitted to the will of the Father. He says in John 8, I don't do anything unless I see my Father in heaven doing it. Jesus is not compulsed. He's not uh, compressed into God's will. He so freely does God's will that he models and invites us and empowers us towards what it means to live as truly free people. Jesus will say later on that we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. To be consecrated by God is to be broken on behalf of the world. We are not broken so that God can diminish us, not broken so he can force us into this singular mold that he has into submission. No, we are broken so that we might be made whole, broken in his careful hands of blessing so that he might multiply the small offerings of loaves and fish that we bring to him to feed and sustain and to bless the world. Most of us, at some point or another, have known what it's like to be the last pick. Maybe you can think back to days in elementary school playing kickball or dodgeball, or maybe 
Maybe you don't have to think back that far. Maybe at this point in your life, whether it be relationally, you feel utterly alone, rejected. Maybe you feel unloved right now. God's word to Jeremiah is God's word to you. You are consecrated. You are chosen. You were chosen for God and by God. Chosen for life with Him. Chosen and set apart for His ways in the world. You are not an accident. You are not insignificant. You are consecrated by the living God. Ecclesia, God's word to Jeremiah is an invitation to sacrifice our notions of freedom, to understand that God's way is the way towards true and lasting freedom, that to accept that we are chosen by Him is to also accept that we can conform our lives to His pattern, His image, which is the shape of the cross, God's giving of Himself to the world, and in doing so, find true wholeness and true life. The last word in this brief but incredibly powerful sequence of first words to Jeremiah is that Jeremiah is appointed. The Hebrew word is the word Natan. Before Jeremiah even drew a breath, he was given to the world, in, the, in Jeremiah's case, as a prophet to the nations. Now, it may seem a bit unfair, or like some kind of weird divine arranged marriage situation that Jeremiah was given by God to the world as a prophet to the nations before he even had a say in the matter. But, but friends, this is not about fatalism. This is about freedom. This is about excellence. We were made, part of what it means to be made in the image of the God who constantly gives of himself, we were made to give our lives away. Jesus says to us, whoever wants to find their life must lose it for his sake. Jeremiah's true north throughout his life is God. His whole life is directed Godward, and this empowers him to be able to withstand, to keep showing up, to keep living out his purpose. Ecclesia, as we seek to be a people of God suddenly, as we talked about in our vision talk last week, and if you didn't catch that, that message, I encourage you, pick up the podcast, hop on YouTube, watch, because we are expecting God to do things in our midst, and as we expect to be a people of the suddenly of God, a people empowered by His Word, a people of hope, a people of, of reliance upon God's power and of connectedness and community, we will find that we only come to understand and to see these things as we say yes to God. As we walk step by step by faith, as we allow God to give our lives to the world around us and not always in certainty of where the next step will lead. The words that come to Jeremiah before, consecrated, appointed, another way of saying blessed, broken, and given. Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, was celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples when he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said to his friends, this is my body broken for you. Jesus' life as he died upon the cross the very next day looked like a failure. He was taunted and mocked. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. But through it all, there was a deeper truth at work, a deeper definition of success because Jesus' life was oriented completely towards God. Everything he did flowed out of his life and relationship with the Father. 
what Paul would later dub the foolishness of the cross was really the wisdom of God, God's way for the best life, the most excellent life. Jesus was himself blessed, broken, and given to the world to paint our life of faith in its fullest resolution. We are loved by God. We are chosen by God, and we are given to the world as a gift, calling and inviting everyone to come home. Do you want to live a life of excellence? Do you want to, as God asked the question to Jeremiah, run with the horses? Hear, as Jeremiah did, the first words that God speaks to him, the words of grace that meet him and empower him for this life and his vocation. Receive his definition of excellence. Let God's well-done, good and faithful servant be the sole pursuit and hunger of your life. You, Ecclesia, are blessed, you are broken, and you are given. Receive God's path towards excellence, and the world will find life in our life with God. Receive his words spoken over you. I don't know what you're feeling wherever you are right now. I don't know what your uh, disposition or your perceived distance is from God. But what I do know is that the Word of God is living and active. What I do know is that His Word does not return void. What I do know is that these words that were spoken in the intimate context between the Maker of heaven and earth and this prophet several thousand years ago are words that resonate in our hearts today. That before, before anything you could have done that would veer you off course, that would take you in a direction other than towards God. Before all of that, God knew you. He delighted in you. Before, before you were confused about your purpose in the world, before things started to snowball and you, you sort of lost your direction, before any of that, God consecrated you. And before... Before we began to live completely for ourselves, before we couldn't understand how our small offerings could be used to bless the world, God gave us to the world and he appointed us. You are known before. You are consecrated and chosen before and you are given to the world. Receive the words that God speaks to Jeremiah. Let them resonate in your soul and know that they are an invitation to the most excellent way. Grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.